Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, like, let's do this. Hey now, welcome to another episode of Make Defense Great Again. My name's Chris Vassar, a.k.a. Coach Vass. Thank you so much for joining me. Today, we have Brandon Lechtenberg, pod legend, joining us to talk about all the things that you need to do to get ready before your actual season starts. So we're talking about fall camp. I know it's a little late and preseason things that you need to cover. This is not an exhaustive list. We did that a couple of years ago with Mark Marinelli, but just some things to think about, maybe some topics that aren't on the forefront of your mind, but things to try to make sure that you get accomplished. We go a little bit by position by position, talk about defense as a whole, and so stay tuned for that. But first, I got a lot of ground to cover. If you're one of those people that usually skip this part, please don't because I want to talk to you about the future of the pod for the rest of the year and also some projects that you may or may not have missed that I've been doing for the last two months. So first, the elephant in the room. This is the first pod I've done in two months. For those of you who do not follow me on Twitter or see every tweet, which I know a lot of you guys don't, and I completely understand But I got really, really sick for about a month and a half. I got COVID. Well, first I got sick. Then I had COVID. Then I thought I was healed, but I took some medicine and there is a a relapse, so to speak. So I got COVID again. And then I was laid out pretty much for the next three, four weeks. Headaches, sleeping 12, 14 hours a day. Just insanity. So I was all excited about doing a summer series. And all these things planned, I I did a pre-release of a course that I was going to have finished in the next four weeks, which I didn't even touch for four weeks because I got so sick that I'm now finishing up. But it's been hell. So I know this is only like episode seven since January, which is insane. I used to do seven in two months. But life has gotten in the way this year. But that is all about to change. So first and foremost, we are doing the in-season pod Q&As starting On Saturday, August 27th, the format for that is you submit questions. I'll post a link via Twitter. I record on Thursday night so you know when to have your questions in by. Then they get put out early, early Saturday morning, hopefully around 6 a.m. Eastern time. So you have enough time if you submitted a question to listen to the answer. Or if you don't submit a question, you can hear what other people are facing and what we kick around as ideas for them Again, the first pod that will come out will be on Saturday, August 27th. I promise that will be the day the podcast actually comes out. We're going to be joined by some of the best coaches in all of high school football across the country. I will officially release the week-by-week schedule. Here are a few of those coaches that will be joining me. Also, we have some college guys. Don't want to leave them out. We have Dante Barti, Cody Alexander, Jim Camarillo, Adam Gaylor, Deontay Lee, Brandon Lechtenberg, Kyle Kogan, Chad Broderick, Yosef Ferris, Chad McGee, Jerry Gordon, Brian Niedermeyer, Slade Calhoun, Terrence Gant, and that will take us all the way up 
to December 1st. But before we get to that on the 27th, next weekend, Dante's actually going to be joining me for back-to-back episodes. He's been gone the last couple years. And to come back with a bang, we got back-to-back. Next week, he will be on, and we're going to talk about game planning and the philosophy of, as you know, if you ever heard Dante speak, he is a genius, and he takes it to another level with some of the ways that he looks at game planning. So we'll do that podcast next week. Then he'll join us the following week for a Q&A episode. So it's not a part one, part two thing. The game planning thing has already been recorded. So, but he's going to be joining us back to back weeks, two completely different topics. Super excited about that. Dante is a great guy and a fantastic podcast guest. Now on to a couple personal notes. There's a lot of information here. So I'm going to try to make it as simple as possible so we can get into the podcast and you don't have to listen to me rattle on forever. First things first, my two and a half year odyssey on creating a tight front package on CoachTube is almost completely finished. I'm doing the finishing touches on selecting the plays used for the video. As I mentioned, COVID kind of put everything on hold for a while and the rel- the other sicknesses that I had. But if you go to bit.ly slash tight front vast, and remember because we're football coaches, we spell tight T-I-T-E. Again, that's bit.ly slash tight front vast. There are three courses that are standing at about nine hours now. When I add all the film, God, it's probably going to be, I don't want to put any promises, but it's going to be probably 15 to 20 hours on there. But I will say this. I've pulled about 300 clips that I'm going to be narrating in the clips as well, which is why this has taken so much time. I've left no stone unturned. I've watched every single tight front clip. That Bama, LSU, Baylor, all those guys have run over the past, I don't know, seven years where the tight front was used. Georgia as well. And of course, also used my own game film, broken it down, going to talk through everything. It's going to be all there and you can get the bundle. Buy two, get one free, $99 for over 15 to 20 hours of content. It's a huge, huge steal. They are the tight front base package, defending the run of the tight front, which is specifically geared towards the base package and how all the run fits. It was going to be part of the first course, but it became a monstrosity. And so I made it its own course. But the good thing is you get the bundle. You basically get it for free. And then the third course, which is the pressure package, which not only has all the pressures and explanations and then how you package them together, but we'll also have film against the run and the pass. So they're together. So get that by going to bit.ly slash tight front vast. The next thing I want to talk about may be the greatest deal of all time that I've ever been a part of. I made a course. It's based on my Glazer presentation that I did this year on the game week. Everything that you need to know entitled from Saturday to Thursday. And it covers how I break down opponents, how I game plan practice for every day of the week and then what I even did after practice before practice what I assigned to my assistant coaches the columns I used to break down and I also included a sample five-day fall camp install practice structure a week in season practice structure three practices and also two different call sheets the new excel template I used and an old word template that I use some people may prefer and I cover everything the course is about three and a half hours and you can get it for free. That's right. You can get it for free and just go to underdogfantasy.com. And if you're a first time user, if you deposit at least $10, 
First of all, Underdog Fantasy is going to match you up to 100 bucks. So you put 10 bucks in, they give you $10. You put in 100, they give you $100. And you get the course for free, but only if you use the code VASS. That's V A S S. Now, just give me 24 hours because he sent me a report. If he signs up using the code, I will send you that personalized free code for the course. If you want to check the course out, you can go to bit.ly slash VASS Game Week. All one word. That's bit.ly slash fast game week and then if you're like man this is awesome i could put in as little as 10 bucks and get this course and they give me 10 bucks you go to underdogfantasy.com and you sign up and you use the code vast remember this is for new users only now if underdog fantasy is not available in your state or you've already signed up for underdog fantasy or if fantasy sports just isn't your thing, you are still able to purchase the course on its own. Again, the course is bit.ly slash vastgameweek. But remember, this is important. If you want to take advantage of the underdog promotion, do not buy the course and then try to get a refund. I cannot do that for you. I do not have the power to do that. If you check the course out and you're like, wow, this is awesome. I want to use that code. And we cover everything. I mean, every subject that I could think of during a game week is covered. And it's a day-by-day implementation plan as well. So you can follow it to a T if you want. Or if you want to spark some ideas, maybe switch up some things. I go over the old purple ball that we stole from TCU and modified for us. That is probably the best thing I've ever done to help me on game day. We go over everything. If you like it, underdogfantasy.com. Sign up with code VASS. And again, you can check out that course, bit.oi slash week. It's pretty awesome, and I'm super excited. Guys that have gotten the course have been telling me how much it's helped them, which is all I care about. All right, I'm not going to go through the normal housekeeping bit because I've talked for long enough. Follow me on Twitter at CoachVast. If you have any questions, you can go to my link tree. All the links and everything I will ever talk about related to what I do is there. That is the place to go or go to linktree.com slash CoachVast. Whenever anything related to me you hear something on a pod or you think, I thought I remember Vass talking about that. You just go to at Coach Vass or if you don't have Twitter, which I don't know why you don't, linktree.com slash Coach Vass. All right, let's get into it, man. Let's get into it, man. I am joined by one of my best friends in the entire business, one of my best friends in, in life in general, Brandon Lechtenberg. Brandon, thank you for joining me. Yeah, no problem, man. I used to get one of the best coaches you know, but you've expanded your net. Now I'm just one of your best friends. Well, I mean, you didn't let me get to all the superlatives. I tell you <laughs> what, I've paid, I've paid your, we paid you more to teach us about football than anybody else, so. Now you got the big boys paying you to teach them about football. Something like that. Something like that. But uh, uh, super excited to have you here. Coach Leck and I, if, you, if you've ever heard any of the podcasts, um, I've had him on the show. I talk about him all the time. I talk about our experiences together at Millsaps College. We were together for a year in Jackson, Mississippi back in 2011. Coach spent seven, eight years there. I, I Six years there. Six yep. years there. Um, we actually had, I always tell everybody the staff we had, we had an amazing staff for, you know, people, people that don't really know the business or whatever. They think, you know, D3, oh, you know, oh, it's, you know, it's just some volunteer guys. And then I go through some of the guys that we had on our staff, Ronnie Wheat, safety's coach at Baylor, Rich Gangarello, offensive coordinator at Kentucky, obviously yourself. And then uh, Hudson Fuller, who's the head coach at, 
one of the biggest uh, schools in Louisiana. And then I'm like, and then there was me. <laughs> Coach Leck is one of, if not number one inspirations and an influence on me in coaching and in life. Learned a ton of lessons from him about about the game and and more importantly, taught me a lot about myself. I can't say enough good things. And of course, he had to beat me to all the beautiful things I was going to say about him. <laughs> we, I don't know if you can hear that in the background. Uh, We're in the middle of uh, Florida and it's in the summer. We're in the middle of a crazy storm. So I apologize for any. Did you, could you hear that? Did they come through the I mic? Heard it. Yeah, yeah I that one it. was close. I hope the power doesn't go out. Fingers crossed. I wanted to bring Coach on. And we were going to talk today about kind of a fall camp checklist, preseason things that you need, or I don't say need, you should cover because everybody's different. Everybody's situation is different, but wanted to kind of go through some things that we both felt that was important to cover before you start your regular season. Now, before we get into it, uh, when I say preseason, because that means different things to different people. So if you're a high school coach and you hear preseason, especially at a place like Sarah, where I used to coach in the Bay Area, where we had seven league opponents, preseason for us meant our first three games. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what you need to cover before your first scrimmage. If you're a high school coach um, or even into the week after your scrimmage, depending on how different the offense you're going to play uh, from the rest of the teams. You know, when I just mentioned Sarah we would struggle uh, or sometimes early because the offenses we saw early on were very different than the offenses that we saw in our league. And not that, you know, every game matters, but when you go in, you want to win the section, you want to win your league and you got to build a defense to win your league. And so those preseason games, it was always that balancing act. They were important and you needed to win and set the tone, but also you're playing split back veer. You're playing single wing. And then in the season, you're playing a bunch of spread teams. It's hard. So we're going to kind of go over that. But anyway, Coach, give us the 60-second bio real quick, the things that I didn't cover uh, about uh, how you got to the University of Central Oklahoma, where you are now. Congrats on the gig as the defensive coordinator. Kind of give the uh, give the viewers a little bit of background real quick, and then we'll jump right into it. Uh, yeah, and, and obviously you and I met kind of when I was a graduate assistant at TCU. That was my first college job. I was there for Coach Patterson and his staff um, in 2008, 9, and 10. Um, from there, I went to Millsaps College and and took defensive coordinator job there, and that's where you joined me, I think, for year one, if memory serves. Was my first year there was also yeah. was you there. So you got to see the version of me that was trying to pretend someone that I wasn't quite then. Uh, I've grown up a lot since then, but had good success all in all at Millsaps for six years. And then I had a, a short stop at Tennessee Martin. I actually called the defensive coordinator at Tennessee Martin, uh, Jordan Hankins, who's now the linebackers coach at Memphis, I think, and had a question about practice structure for him. And we ended up talking for about 45 minutes at the end of the conversation. This was about Actually, I, I credit you for this job. We had a baby that, that summer, and I was supposed to come out and spend a week with you. That's right. Uh, didn't because uh, because we had a, our first child. Uh, and because of that, I was killed a little bit of time, and I made a phone call to do a little bit of professional just to get some insight. And, and at the end of the conversation, he said, well, my safeties coach came in and took a new job this morning. Are you interested in the job here? So 
So uh, at that point, it was the opportunity to go Division One, and and I took it. Uh, was there for a very short time for six months before uh, Eric Morris got hired at UIW Incarnate Word FCS program down in San Antonio. And originally, Scott Simons, who's now the defensive coordinator at SMU, who's a longtime friend of mine as well. I met him when I was at TCU as well. Him and I have been shared scheme when we were young coaches. We talked ball almost once a week in season even. He was at Arkansas Tech. I was at Millsaps College, and then he moved to West Georgia. But we'd had a very strong professional and personal relationship. And and he offered me the job there as a linebackers coach for him, and he was the defensive coordinator. Uh, lo and behold, how this profession goes, three weeks later, he got offered the linebacker job at Memphis and took off. Uh, so I was in a, a situation that turned out to be really, really positive and really influential in my coaching career. Um, started working for a guy that I didn't know very well, Justin Deason. We be, got hired as the defensive coordinator, and and we won a conference championship year one at UIW. Took a one and ten program and flipped it to a conference championship, and kind of built it over the last four years. I was the linebackers coach and special teams coordinator, and went. 11 and three this past season made it two rounds deep in the playoffs, which is the furthest that program's ever been. And this year, I think they're preseason top two in the league, which is the first time they've ever gone into a season with expectations. And, and then got on here with Adam Doral as the head coach here at Central Oklahoma. He was the head coach at Northwest Missouri State, and they only won three national titles there. And I'd coached against him. He was at Abilene Christian the last few years. So I've been going against him for a couple of years in the Southland Conference. And uh, he reached out, and and now I'm on here with him. So that's my short bio, I guess. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, it's funny how this business works, and you take a job to go be with someone, or they they, you know, invite mm -hmm. you on, and then no sooner do you get there than somebody else is coming in, and then it's it's a wild deal, and. Many of you who are watching this are probably shaking your head along going, yes, yes, we, we I'm thinking of some story that you've been a part of uh, that fits this bill. But uh, so Coach Leck, is it his first year, as he's mentioned, at Central Oklahoma? He's now official in Okie from Muskogee. We were talking in the pre-interview. Uh, he used to play that song all the time when we were in the Millsap office. And it was like uh, Stockholm syndrome. Uh, at the beginning, I was like, "This is this is a human form of torture." Uh, I want to jump out of the window. Uh, and then by the end, I was like, "Yo, what was that playlist you had going?" And then I I tortured my assistants. But in all, all seriousness, uh, coach, this is first year, and when you're in your first year somewhere, you are making a lot of checklists. You are oh, yeah. writing a lot of things down. You are making sure you're ticking those boxes. And this is an interesting conversation that we're having because you guys start at the end of this week. Yep. Yeah, we start on Sunday. So we got about one week away. So a lot of these talks we have, it's like, oh, I would do this or we did this six months ago or we're going to do this in six months or this is something we did five years ago. And coaches literally... Put, he put this together uh, as we were talking about doing this. So this is something that he is going to take and do within a week. So uh, it's an interesting. Now, I don't know when this is going to air or be posted or whatever you want to call it. But uh, this is where we're talking on the 1st of August. So let's talk about 
fall camp preseason getting into your scrimmage what's kind of your overall philosophy let's start there what's your overall philosophy on making sure everything gets done um well i mean i think that it starts with two things and you and i have talked about this and install stuff before first of all what do we do on defense and what do we need to get good at on defense and then second of all what does our offense do and this is a lesson i'll never forget working with you at at Millsaps year one if you remember when rich Cangarella was the offensive coordinator we went through fall camp and game one I'll never forget that Sunday we get together. Well, how come our linebackers don't know how to line up to 10 personnel? They, they don't know how to play out of the box. So they know the rules. We installed all this <laughs> stuff. And we look back at that and we're like, well, we played a pro-style offense for three weeks that was in nothing but 12 and 21 personnel. And our linebackers never had to leave the box. And then all of a sudden, so that actually, like that experience, and then that year I draw a lot of, when you when talk about my lists. So that's where I start actually, is I went through, formationally and i've got i've got it kind of in three categories open sets like 10 11 20 because to me those three formations have a lot of similarities with how you defend them how you adjust to them and i know you can talk for days on do you treat a y off like a three speed you know how you but that's all game plan stuff too Uh, just in terms of how your my philosophy is anyway we're gonna treat those as open sets and if with how we defend them and then I kind of go 21 and 12 personnel are very similar. Now they're going to bring DBs into the run game. Like you're going to have multiple DBs in the run fit to be successful. And then your true heavy stuff, which is 22, 23, 32. So I got kind of three families of offensive personnel groupings. And then I look at it and say, well, what does our offense do? So our offense is going to, and then how does their install marry up to my install? So when I go through this, I actually have a checklist built. On the top of it is every one of our coverages. We're going to have to run every one of our coverages to 10, 11, 20 personnel because that's so that starts day one. We can't install that without teaching them how to line up to those formations. But we're not going to see 12 and 21 personnel. I play in a league where I know I'm going to see 12 and 21 personnel. So if I'm installing my day one coverages and my day one fronts, but I'm not lining up to 12 and 21 personnel. I'm not really installing them. So that's where I go back in and say, okay, so during our walkthrough, I've got to do an align assign period. We may not see it versus plays, but we're going to at least get our formation alignments done to those plays so that we're truly installing the whole front and the whole coverage. And then I think when you get to the heavy, the heavy jumbo, the big stuff, that's a little bit different. Certain coverages, you're not going to run to those things. Certain fronts, you're, you're, at what point are you matching practices or matching those personnel groups specifically to work during practice with the offense? And and every I have always worked. I've only worked for offensive head coaches primarily, uh, so I've always been kind of at the mercy of what the offense is going to install. Uh, so I have to modify what I want to do defensively to what I'm seeing offensively. So that's kind of where I start, and then you can formationally go the same thing. So I know we're going to see FSL every single day of, of, of practice. And FSL meaning formation into the sideline? Yeah, FIB, FSL, go, a lot of people have different names for it, but formation in the sideline, like that's something that we have to, we can't practice on day one 
without teaching our guys how to make those adjustments. We also can't practice on day six without teaching our guys during our day six install. So that's something we know going into it. So I don't have to, on my checklist, I got that blued out. Like anything that I don't have to go out of my way to manufacture as a defensive coordinator because our offense is going to give it to us, I don't have to check those things off because I'm getting them every day or or at least consistently throughout practice or throughout camp, if that makes sense. So that's kind of a starting point for me is what am I going to get from our offense? And then when I know what I'm going to get from them, how do I, what do I got to go back and what do I got to manufacture in a scout team period and a walkthrough, uh, things like that. Yeah, we had um, that problem. Uh, and as you know, and used to come out and visit you know, when I was at Sarah, we were a 10 personnel Baylor style offense at that time. I say that, but we did a lot of different things. And mm-hmm. the teams that we had to beat in our league were I formation, wing T, wing T option, double wing, like sniffer foot to foot. And then some years it was like the like the Joe Gibbs, Boise State offense that 12 personnel shift and trade and all that mm-hmm. literally couldn't be further from. And we saw elements of 10 on third down, but it was tough. And because it was like, okay, do we want to be good versus our offense and have some success? So my first year at Sarah, I wanted to kind of set the tone. So we practiced a lot of versus 10 mm-hmm. and we kind of got into the bigger stuff as time went on. But by my last year there, we were like, all right, you guys need, you guys should know how to line up to 10 by now. Because mm-hmm. we were specifically, I mean, almost all 10. It was two formations. And then if I, you know, trips in the boundary, maybe a stack or something. So we spent all of our self-scout time was all on the big stuff. And, and then we just tried to work pods. Now, let's talk a little bit about individual i'm going to kind of jump into individual real quick and then we'll 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 scan back out but you mentioned in your league you're you're seeing a let or you're seeing you're going to see some 12 and 21 which means you're going to see different types of plays which means you're going to see different types of blocks Mm -hmm. now how are you is that i mean i guess you'd have to do it then but is that where you're using individual time to really focus on that stuff and and how much, especially with it being your first season at central Oklahoma, um, how much of that is like, all right, I want to set the tone versus, Hey, we got to practice this stuff. And we kind of, you know, we, we can't worry about our offense. Like where's that balance for you right now? Um, and how much of that 21, 12, that stuff that you don't see from your offense how much is the percentage of what you think you're going to see this season? Like what's the, what's the ratio? Um, it's, it's higher than previously coming from the Southland league, but it's still not, I mean, it's, at the end of the day, 12 and 21, most places is going to be the 11 and 20 tend to be kind of where most teams live. And our league is probably similar to that. Uh, there are going to be a higher percentage, probably 25% of the game against most opponents. You're going to see some, open field 12 and 21 personnel it looks to me like there's some exceptions to that they go a little bit heavier and there's a couple teams that don't do much of it Uh, my balance to to answer your question um i think it, it is tough at the end of the day you have we have to get good at 
we should always be good at defending what our offense does because our kids do have to go have success. And during camp, you're not loaded with scout team periods. You got to go defend what your offense is doing. Uh, and and that's and we like I said, you should get good at those things. How do you know? And that's where like for us, where we've got to walk through. I know that I'm going to focus on aligning lining up to those other formations on day one. And I'm going to do that every single day so that when we transition to scout team um, or game week install, it's not brand new. We, we've at least started to install that in there in their mind. Now for me to go, I, most of our calls can line up to a 10 personnel formation and a 12 personnel formation. I don't control during a team period, what the offense comes out in. So we've got to, they're going to be in 10 or 11. We've got to line up to 10 or 11. Uh, so that, I don't know if that's answering your question, but I think that you should, we should naturally get good at defending what our offense does. If you're, if you're an air raid offense, you should become pretty prolific at defending the air raid. If you're a double slot, triple option, you should become pretty prolific at stopping triple option. And those like the wing T, those teams have the same problem. If you're a wing T team in the middle of a spread league, you're defending wing T all day long, and then all of a sudden you got to go play 10 personnel spread. But that's where I think walk through time and then making sure we make sure our installs as coaches, as position installs, deal with how to line up with all formations. Um, and that and again, that's probably something I really took from Deason when I was at uh, UIW. Did a really good job of that, making sure our guys could could adjust and line up to all format during during a day one install when we're running our Tampa two stuff. I'm gonna make sure that our guys know how to line up to open sets, to close sets, to trip sets, to quad sets, to all of those things because they have to at some point. That's a really good point. It's funny. Um... I don't know how it is in college, and I know that a lot of colleges do good on good, but in high school, it's like once once the first week hits, we stop being good at it's not we stop being good at the spread, but you don't really play each other anymore after that because it's all scout team. Mm-hmm. So it, it was funny because you'd watch throughout the year. Like uh, when I was at Clovis, we did a live two-minute period on Thursdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, yeah, to start practice, and it was a little different there because they were we had we had advanced into the 21st century of offense in that league, so there was a little mm-hmm. bit more similarities. We did the same thing at Sarah, and early on, you know, we're used to playing our offense, we're used to going fast, and all of a sudden, you're not playing that stuff anymore. Because they're you're going against the scout team, you're not going against your own stuff. So then all of a sudden, like week seven, we're having a hard time getting lined up to two by two. The backers are like, "Do I walk out of the box?" And I'm like, "Did you guys forget everything that we did for the, before the last six weeks? Like, what the hell's mm-hmm. going on?" So it's funny how kids can just there's there's always this debate about you know should you run the offense on the varsity level or the defense on the varsity level. Like starting in like sixth grade, and I, I obviously think that's good, but also like I'm like my kids can't remember from six weeks ago. How are they? They're not going to go eight months and remember everything from the previous year. But now let's let's zoom out a little bit. Let's talk about some of the. Can I follow up with that real quick, Chris? Absolutely. Sorry. No, of course. Sorry. You talked about like good on good stuff, and I think this helps answer that question too. Um, 
good on good. And obviously some high schools, you're, they, they can't do good on good because they're playing on both sides of the ball. Uh, if you're at one of those schools that's big enough to platoon uh, or mostly platoon where only maybe you have a couple guys that are playing both sides of the ball, if you can get a good on good during game week where you know that most of your practice time is scrimmage time, I think being able to get a 10 play early in the week, like on a Tuesday, Wednesday, as part of your base period is really beneficial. Now, here's the key to that. If I'm playing you, I can't be game planning your offense, Chris. I've got to be able to say, okay, and then that's where I like to run my stopper blitzes, my complex coverages, my like the, the maybe the, the, and I shouldn't say new because nothing I do is going to be new, but the stuff that we don't do, I'm not running base defense against you. I'm going to run blitzes that I know our kids haven't run a ton of that we're installing for this week or fronts or coverages that we're installing for this week so that we can get good at them. Even if, if you're 10 personnel and we're playing a 12 personnel team, well, hell, they can come out in 12 personnel. So giving our kids the chance to play those calls versus speed and versus unexpected things. Where in scout team, I know exactly what I'm giving them. When I go against you, I don't necessarily know what's coming. I'm not calling a call to stop you. I'm calling a call that I know I'm going to call two or three times on Saturday and that our kids have to get good at it. And I don't know what the offense is going to run when I call it. So that's, I mean, you kind of triggered that in my head. I think that's a pretty key thing during, during game week if you can get some good on good versus your offense. I'm excited to introduce Coach Vast Defense, a comprehensive out-of-the-box defensive system with everything you need to coordinate a top-tier defense coming in early 2025. The system is a one-stop shop and comes with a complete, robust defensive scheme with tools to get into any structure, including even, odd, mint-tight, bare, stack, three-high, and more. It comes with an NFL-level playbook with run fits and route matches narrated install videos with a schedule for implementation and a library of answers for every offense you will see, including the spread 11 personnel offense du jour, the air raid, the Bryles offense, option schemes including the flex bone, the wing tee, three back, and much more. It also comes with a drill and game film library, live in-season game planning sessions, templates to help you organize practice, opponent breakdown, and tools to make you a better play caller. Whether you're new to coordinating or a grizzled vet looking for new ideas, this system will have something for everyone. If you want to see all the details of the system, visit coachfastdefense.com and make sure to sign up for the mailing list to get updates and invitations to webinars to have your say in the system's creation so all of your coaching needs are met. Again, go to coachfastdefense.com, check out the details, and sign up for the mailing list. This past season, coaches across the country used CoachPad to be more efficient with their scout cards for prep on the weekends and on the practice field with their scout team. Whether you're using a computer program to create your scout cards or drawing them by hand, the CoachPad is for you. Some of the features coaches enjoyed the most this past season was never printing paper or stuffing a binder, the scout team being able to see their cards clearly, even in the bright sun, and using the CoachPad on game day to sync diagrams from the press box to the sideline. This offseason, get yours at thecoachpad.com and get your program ready for next season. Again, that is the coachpad.com so let's talk more holistically you talked about aligning the formations obviously that's very important whether they say uh defense is 80 percent of where you stand how you stand and who you're supposed to look at and what to do that's if you can do that then the the other 20 percent is the athleticism and the reaction mm -hmm. time and all that but that's uh what, what they used to say it was a 
was it G.I. Joe, Knowing's Half the Battle? Yeah, uh, it was. Yeah. Yep. So great records. I, I I didn't watch a lot of that either. I just pulled just pulled that one out of you know where. But uh, it seems to be in football, knowing is most of the battle. And so mm-hmm. obviously that is very important. And then, you know, we talk about tackling and takeaways and those sort of things, but I want to kind of draw back to your days in Millsaps because when we do have college guys on, you know, a lot of states, they don't allow um, teams to get into pads, which I we can go on a whole debate about this. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, we want to be more safe, but we're going to make sure you're not going to be able to practice in the stuff you're going to play in, but only for two weeks before you do it. And that's like, what? Uh, but that's another conversation for another day. But there's a lot of states that spring football, there's no pads. And and summer ball, there's no pads. And mm-hmm. I know that that's something that you went through at Millsaps, uh, where all of a sudden you're practicing, and in, in, as uh, my mentor Keith Burns used to call it, full shorts. Mm-hmm. All off season. now all of a sudden you hit camp and day five hits or four or whatever it is. And now you're in pads and you only have like 15 days in pads and then it's time to go play a a game. So Mm -hmm. talk to me about when you were at Millsaps and or similar situations. I think this might be the only time that you were in this situation besides Mm -hmm. going back to when you were coaching. Did you coach eight man ball in Nebraska high school or did you play eight man ball or both? I played. Man football, but I did coach high school ball for a couple of years. You did coach high school ball. Okay. Yes, we didn't even bring football in Nebraska. That didn't exist. Right. We we but it was uh Sarah was called we called it ABS, always baseball season. So you know when football mm-hmm. season started when baseball season ended. I wish I was kidding. Um, but so you know, you now all of a sudden you're strapping up in pads, you got 15 days until you go play somebody else in, in these pads. You know, what are some of the things that you in that situation where you have to really think about that? that you're making sure you're emphasizing as, as a team and in your individual periods, maybe you could go kind of group by group a little bit. Um, so I think, again, practice schedule is going to have a little bit of a impact on that. Um, where I'm and in though, I think you have to have some heavy indie time and some heavy small group time when you don't get a lot of tackling in the off season, but even us, I mean, our tackling is getting more and more limited. Uh, every year and contact when we get into is getting more and more limited but uh like tackling i'll break down into two things i think there are some basic tackling techniques and skills that every position needs and i do believe in tackling circuits i also believe in incorporating i don't i call them more skill circuits where we might do a tackle drill a turnover drill and a pass rush drill so our dbs get one rep of you know get a little bit of hey flip your hips hey dude like they're they're getting some of that stuff too for blitz game linebackers get some of that d line live in that world obviously uh but we can get that built into a circuit uh so and a lot of your tackling drills that probably a bunch of coaches do angle tackle leverage tackling just stuff like that that are applicable to every position i also strongly feel there are some position specific tackles there are certain tackles that really only linebackers see on a regular. Like there's some tackles that you can't do a circuit and you put a D lineman doing that drill or a DB doing that drill. They don't ever see that look. 
Uh, and if you think about it, at the from D line working back, everything happens faster on the D line. Um, and as you go back, the, the types of plays that you have to make in game. So I strongly encourage, and and we spend some time on this, and, and we're actually doing it this week with position coaches. Okay, what are your tackling drills? So beyond just what your basic drills are, what are your tackling drills when we do position specific tackle work? And then show me how that shows up in a game. Because if you can't show me that drill showing up in a football game, then why are we running a dr just because you saw some coach do it or you saw it on YouTube doesn't make it a good drill. So if you can show me where that tackle is showing up for your position group uh, on Saturday or on Friday night, I think that's that's one big thing that I'm a big advocate for at each position. I I call it a peekaboo tackle at linebacker where you got to be working flat, working flat, and all of a sudden the running back cuts back behind a D lineman and you got to go close space right now and make that tackle and not get run over. Like those are things that a linebacker sees that most other players don't see. Um, DB's got to work a little bit more coming from space and playing really holding either inside out or outside in leverage to be able to, to, to maintain their leverage coming from space and to make a play on the ball. D linemen are the are kind of the opposite of that. One big thing I find with D linemen is when they disengage on a runaway, being able to teach them how to work good pursuit angles to play cutback on a run play going away from them and not just go up the field out. Like you'll see them beat a block and then maybe slip up the field, but are we coaching them to make that tackle uh, from the back side? So those are some things that, that I focus on with the position coaches regarding tackling. It's okay, what are the specific tackles that your players have to make in a game one of the big things i did mistake i made was and i've told this story before but was angle tackles you're talking about position specific you know i'm doing inside out tackling with everybody and then i'm mm -hmm. screaming at my corners that they're always getting beat outside and i thought about it and i went when are corners making inside out tackles even in man coverage mm -hmm. what do you tell the corner get back outside Force the ball inside every time. Mm -hmm. Hell, even when you're trapping, I mean, you miss inside and then you're trying to get back outside. You know what I mean? There's, there's some very specific yep. exceptions to that rule, but your corners are always outside in. And most of the time they're not trying to make the tackle. They're setting the edge at our level. It's a little different. You got to bring it back down to basics, but just from the standpoint of explaining to a kid, Hey, if you're the force player, you can make the tackle great, but you can't go inside of a block to go make the tackle where the guy can get back outside. And so we're having that happen. And then we're having the corners jump inside and then we're yelling at them. And then I'm going, well, wait a minute. We're, that's what we're telling them. And so that's all we're working. We're not working them. And the other thing I'll say is don't be afraid to teach your kids how to get out of bad situations. A lot of coaches, I think there's this debate and I'm weighing on this when it comes to this sort of thing is like, well, I don't want to practice bad habits. That used to be a thing with re like receivers with one-handed catches, right? When we grew mm -hmm. up, what was it? Get two hands on the ball, get two hands on the ball, What yeah. you want, you want to get two hands on the ball, but sometimes you can't. And so when you can't, mm -hmm. you have to practice those one-handed catches because in an ideal world, it's not, I mean, it's not always going to happen. And so do you just say, oh, well, we're not going to make the catch because we don't want to train bad habits or, hey, you know, these are the most common things that happen to defensive guys in bad situations. 
and here's how we have to get out of it. You've gotten too you've gotten too far past the depth of the quarterback if you're a D lineman. What do okay. you do? Yeah, you don't want to be there, but let's be honest, at some point your kids are gonna be there. And what are you gonna do? So what what's your kind of philosophy on that sort of thing in terms of practicing for the things that you shouldn't, but you know is gonna happen? Yeah, I think that stuff's critical. And I call them your get out of jail free card. Um, like when you get like what are and again, those are all position specific and every position has certain things that you know is going to happen a linebacker where i've spent a lot of time the last few years where you may get a run pass you may be wrong on a run pass read you read run and all of a sudden i'm at the line of scrimmage and i'm supposed to be at a hash or i'm supposed to be matching a guy so what is my how do i get out of that situation and what are we coaching those guys to do and for every one of those, there can be some different philosophies, but I think every position has to have those conversations. And much like you'd identify what kind of tackles do you make, what are the things that put our players in a bad position? Because they're all going to occasionally have bad eyes. They're all going to occasionally have bad feet. Okay, I'm supposed to play inside leverage as a corner, but I got beat inside. All right, what's my speed turn? I'm going to be able that. That's I've got to be able to teach something as simple as that to get back on top of a route knowing that I got beat on the initial stem. So, yeah, I think that stuff, I would be in the camp of that stuff needs to be identified and taught uh, for each position. Apologies. We're having a little lag issues here on uh, the, the audio is coming in clear, but I think the storm is getting really bad and I don't know what's going on, but uh, we kind of got those old, like uh, the, like the Wu-Tang uh, martial arts movies where they did the really bad dubbing over the top. We're getting a little bit of that situation. So apologies. It's Florida weather. You can't, you can't really uh, do anything about it. But anyway, uh, yeah, it's, it was always preaching, you know, don't make a bad problem worse, you know, and, and trying to teach those situations and how to get out of them. Now, I'm not going to have you go through every drill that you're going to have you guys do. Um, I, I did a podcast with Mark Marinelli a couple years ago. I'm going to throw them out real fast, not really explain them because we would be here all night, but the things that, you know, you got to work on with your linemen and let's just, let's just kind of throw things out there. I had get offs, change of direction, strike, extend, shed, pursuit, block recognition, when to box, when to spill, if that's in your defense. You know, how mm -hmm. to slant, how to stunt, and if you got any pass coverage stuff where they got to drop and then rush. Um, mm -hmm. Now, two questions for you. Anything you want to add there that I didn't mention? And then what do you think? I'm going to put you on the spot here. What do you think is one of the most underutilized, or let me rephrase this. What do you think is the most undertaught aspect of D-line play or something that you don't think it's talked about enough? Uh, so I'll start with your list. I think that's pretty comprehensive. Uh, fortunately, we just went through that with our D-line coach today, so it's kind of fresh in my mind. Uh, the one thing that, that I think we got to do a better job of is, and that I think you have to drill that I don't think you did mention, is transitioning from run to pass. I did not uh, mention that, where, yes. That's where, and I think you have to find ways to drill that, um, being able to, because that's where, I mean, you think about it, most of your calls, you're not 
in a jet call or a rocket call or whatever it is to tell those guys to just go rush the passer. Most of your calls on first down, second down, Cobra, yeah, you know it. You're mostly in base defense where your initial footwork is you're playing run to pass with most of your base calls. All right, so how do I give these guys a chance to transition transition from a run run footwork or run mindset to a pass rush? So I think that's a big one that that we are actively adding to that drill list that you mentioned on the D-line. Um, I think for me, and this is personal, I'm open to the fact I could be wrong. Another thing that I spent a lot of time, we got a really good defensive line coach here. Uh, man, he's, he's really good. And we, but one thing that, and you're a DB coach, so you'll understand this. What's your least favorite drill or what do you think the most biggest waste of time of, in a football practice is for the corners and the safeties? Me? Backpedaling, yeah. but that's a whole nother. That's or, a whole other is, or is it one on ones versus the offense where they can run triple moves and do all those yeah, things? Yeah, I, I, I actually like that. So I'm one of the guys that yeah. I, I am in, I am pro one on ones because if you can, it's like being in New York. If you can make it there, you can yep. make it anywhere. So one on one, that's pass one on one pass rush. It's the same thing for the offensive line. And, and, and I actually agree with you on one on one for dbs where i think it challenges them and makes it hard on them but there is a they, they don't see realistic routes a lot of the time and you got the receivers coach and quarterbacks coach that are celebrating and talking trash because they completed so many one-on-one routes and so yeah but yeah that's correct. where it's bad and i don't want to get on a soapbox but that's where yeah. you know people make and at these camps it's different because you're bringing kids in they're trying to show out yeah. they're trying to get a scholarship i you know good for them but you know you're trying to make a catch. There's no rules. Uh, you know, what's there's no what's there's no honor among thieves. Like, and I, I'm kidding, but like, I'm trying to get a scholarship. I got to show out. I'm going to do whatever I can to make that play. Okay. But when we're talking about training on a football team, that is, and you said it, that is, that is on the position coaches to say, hey, and that was one thing Lowe was really good about. Or me, I would just yell sack really loud and just be obnoxious. Shocker, I know. But yeah, you have to but keep it point, in perspective. Yeah. My point with that is, man, I'm I'm gonna I'm probably gonna have a bunch of D linemen coach mad at me. Those D the modern defensive line coaches can be kind of prima donnas too now. Like they're they're gonna spend all this time on one on one pass rush moves. And one thing that we are actively talking about, like it is still a good drill, like we're having one-on-ones where, and you have to teach your guys how to win those battles. But we're sitting here watching a three technique go through one-on-ones. How often is a three technique going to face a one-on-one? He's getting a slide to it most of the time. He ain't facing one-on-ones. Uh, so being able to take one-on-one pass rush with the defensive lineman and be able to apply that to what actually happens in a game. Okay, this is a good move. What happens when the slide comes at you? Or what happens when, you, does that make sense to you? So we're trying to, that, that's something that, that we've talked a lot about this spring and that we'll, we'll continue to walk, talk about during fall camp. It's not always about winning. The, and sometimes the players think they want a rep. And sometimes the coaches even think they want a rep on defense. And I consider it and pause and say, guys, we didn't win this rep. Look at this pocket. He's a nose guard. Look where the, the quarterback's stepping up right here, right where he should be pressing the pocket. So it isn't about winning the rep all the time. It's about making sure that that you're, you win the rep on Saturday because the nose stays where he's supposed to stay within the whole scheme of the pass rush. 
Yeah, I like half line stuff too. The only time I ever got pissed uh, in one on ones, outside doesn't bother me because you know we worked our cover two technique. We played catch, so we would just we would just work our cover two catch technique by playing catch man or just play inside, and then we'd work the the actual like route route stuff in self scout. The only one that pissed me off though, so maybe I'm being a hypocrite here was when we started playing outside leverage man free and those slot guys would hit those quick slants. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, there's a safety in the middle of the field. And there's a really angry guy with a neck roll and a cage face mask standing right where you just ran. That's the only time I ever got pissed, but outside I'm like, whatever, but no, to your point, you know, if you're not, if you're not getting in bear looks and getting those one-on-ones and you are doing a traditional three and four man, you know, and to your point, Everybody wants to get in those wide three techniques. And again, this is on the coaches, you know, getting on those where your nose is in the gap. And unless you're Dick Bumpus, you're not playing that stuff most of the time. You know, I I, I enjoy when I see the tight front guys and they're in their one-on-one pass rush and they're in wide three techniques jetting up the field. I'm like, yeah, where's that cop technique I keep hearing about where you're playing, you're containing as a four eye. Well, and the that that I've and goes back to our transition and we don't do this it's something I've kind of floated uh but why not have them work run to pass footwork during one-on-one sometimes have them work uh because you you well we just talked about it you're going to go through 20 percent of a game is maybe when you're actually going to be playing pass to run on a defensive line and you know certain games more than that but 20 25 percent of the game you're playing pass to run footwork yet you're going to do this for 10 minutes a practice every single practice almost where most of your pass rush is going to come or half of your pass rush is going to come run to pass. It's going to come on a slant, on a movement, on a, on a run technique where you got to transition it to a pass rush. So just like I like the fact that the DBs are at the disadvantage during one-on-ones versus the offense, uh, the it's, it's reverse during O-line versus D-line. D-line now have all the freedom to do all these moves and all this stuff. And then just like you said, there's a safety waiting on that slant. Well, sometimes there's a guard waiting on that inside move. Well, and, and with the, especially with those running quarterbacks, you know, mm-hmm. the creativity with some of the things that they do. Um, but I'm also the guy that I, I would tell the O-line or I would tell the OC, Hey, run a draw on seven on seven or, Hey, every every like tenth one on one rep, just go stock block the you know what out of us, mm-hmm. and they get all pissed. And it's like, because what is football? It's key recognition. Yeah, I mean, I like that. It's a good call. Play action pass is still effective. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sean McVay and the, and more NFL, but those guys have won really giant rings with a lot of diamonds in them. Mm-hmm. But still running play action pass. Or in the college game, we're getting both. Yeah, you know, you're getting stretch and a puller, and then you're getting a slant behind you, and it's like where, you know. But that's where I think one on one. I I think half line pass, half line, just half line O line D line. If you're an over front, mm-hmm. play a center a guard a tackle, a three technique, a five technique, and a Mike linebacker, and it can be pass. It can be zone it can be zone two zone away uh you know whatever and not and mixing it up more but doing it in pods because it is hard especially if you have a small stat and you don't have a lot of film time 
to go just do a bunch mm-hmm. of 11, 11 on 11. It is. Yeah. It's hard. And, you know, you're the, you know, you, and you high school guys are probably sitting here shaking your head along with me. You know, uh, if you're in places like Northern California, which I know I talk a lot about, but you have coaches that have real jobs. And on those passing league days, there's one coach on the entire defense coaching seven guys. You can't see everything. And you, you don't have that time to go review a bunch of films. So figuring out ways to get things in pods, but where it's not just all pass, all run. Like to your mm-hmm. point at Sarah, when the pads came on, seven on seven was over. We never, the only time we did seven on was for like route recognition, like the teaching phase of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we did a third down seven on seven period on wednesday but we still did third down team you know Mm. so we could say hey this is clearly gonna be we're doing the routes but you know we did third down team it was i screens draws everything that we could that to make them think it was gonna be the opposite but no to your point i definitely definitely think that is important is that recognition you know because what's what who was it that said the keys they they broke it down it might have been fritz Shermer. it was like you're gonna be good on defense Play the run when it's a run and the pass when it's a pass. And you're like, yeah, but I mean, that's why that's why Alabama has like shout out to Alabama who has 15 GAs just trying to get run past tells. Mm-hmm. Well, Billy's Billy's elbows on his knees. It's this because <laughs> it's important, right? Yep. All right. Let's talk linebackers. You got your everyday drills. You got your movements. You're breaking them down. You said something really important, which is show me on film where this shows up. Um, not just a bunch of, you know, and I challenge you for you coordinators that are listening to this, as you go through, when you're talking to your assistants, make them show you clips or point to a play where this stuff showed up, but you have your footwork, your agilities in the run game, in the past game, the different change of direction stuff that you need to do. I also think it depends on the, the, the defensive scheme, right? If you're an overfront team, we were an overfront team. We're still blazing through and running through gaps occasionally. If you're a mm. tight front team, you're playing more laterally. You're you know you're you're falling back. Like our backers didn't do a lot of that. Our backers were like mm-hmm. run over there because you got an overhang safety that's got your back. Yeah. We're not coming back on a lot of things. Um, run fits block destruction pass rush if that's part of your deal. Um, and then playing man or any kind of pass drops. What didn't I mention? And same question for D line. What is something that you think that coaches should pay more attention to? Um. Well, I think you're you hit the hit the nail on the head where you have to know what are the how how do you teach your linebackers to play the run game? Because there's multiple schemes. There's different different schemes call for different types of mentalities at linebacker whether i'm plugging fast or whether i'm working laterally whether i'm looking to fall back um those are they have to and coverage is the same way um coverage so i mean you you know what i was it with patterson at millsaps our linebackers we were all pattern match cover four and i've got all these over time i built a pretty good library of match drills for linebackers that solved all the routes and all the problems we got a linebacker uh, and then i go and work in a scheme where we're playing vision coverage well they're great 
drills, but they're not good drills for vision coverage. Vision coverage drills are where we're working hash droppers. We're working an entirely different mindset. So if I keep doing the same drills, I'm not being fair to my linebackers. And that's kind of the, so I think in coverage and in run game, you've got to be able to know, well, what are the, what are the drills that are key for our scheme to be successful? And that's where I challenge my assistant coaches here this week is what we're talking about is, Hey, this is, there's a lot of good drills that you can go watch somebody do and, but they don't necessarily marry up to what, to what we need to do. But I think, and that's the hard part about answering your question is, okay, what, what's your scheme? Are you a three, four? Are you a four, two? Are you a four, three? Cause your drill set has to match that things that I think carry over to all schemes at linebacker are balance like that's going to be a number one I, I i talk about balance where there's different ways to teach it but your body has to be in balance to play linebacker where there's so much with the rpo game um there's so much that they've, they've got to be able to go lateral downhill backwards and they got to be able to change direction at the, at the quickly uh, so that's going to be, uh, I think, a big part of what we do at linebackers, try to train those guys to to play with great feet and great eyes. So if their eyes are wrong, their feet are still in position to get them back right. So they're not they're not overstepping. They're not getting outside of their frame too much. Uh, and then I think your block destruction, I think there's a lot of, regardless of how you're teaching your linebackers, um, that stuff's going to be pretty similar from scheme to scheme. At the end of the day, some, like for me, you've got to take on at some some point. You got to take a three hundred pound on nasty guard head on. You got to strike, separate, shed the block. Uh, if you can win with speed, I call it an edge technique or a slip. We got to be able to slip blocks too, where we've got an edge on a guy. Never would I say you're running away from a block. Um, you've got to be able to slip a block where you've got to work his edge. And we got two different ways we teach that. I think I could go into any scheme and our block defeat drills are going to show up on film. They're going to show up within any scheme that you play. Your scheme specific stuff, I think, is where you have to really focus in as a, as a linebacker coach and say, all right, I I love this drill because I went and watched Oklahoma practice and man there that Venerables was doing. It, it was awesome. Uh, but is this the drill that fits into our scheme? Because we run a different scheme than they do. No, 100%. And you said something interesting about the block destruction. I know one of the best linebacker coaches in the country told me, if you're going to be a slip team, like slip blocks, and we're and, and also, by the way, we're great liars. Mm-hmm. As defensive coaches, we're like, we don't want you to avoid a block. What are you talking about? You never want to avoid, but, and in my head, I'm going, yes. Don't. Can you not go take on that 300-pounder if you don't have to? Yes. We come up with names like slip and avoid, but don't run away from it, but kind of do run away from it. No, but uh, to that point is he said, even if you're going to be a slip team and you're going to rip and, you know, rip through and whatever, especially in high school, first couple days, don't let him do it. Mm-hmm. Get nasty with it. You've been playing in shorts all ca- or all summer long. Now you got to go learn to take on somebody. And so, mm-hmm. You may give up a few more yards than normal the first couple of days, but really get on to take it, teach and teach those guys. Cause at some point you know, it could be the bear it could be the Salina 10, one defense. Someone at some point is going to slip up to the next level and they're going to get on you. And how are you going to get off that block? Yep. And, and you have to train that. So I thought that was an interesting point. Now let's go to DB play. It's even more scheme dependent. I mean, there's, 
there's a yes. myriad of coverages and so i don't wanna really want to get into that stuff i will say this don't be me don't be a i hate backpedal and then start all your drills with backpedals <laughs> like i did when i was younger because i didn't know how to form my own drills and form my own opinions so it was like i'm gonna play this because i learned this and i'm gonna do this drill because so and so taught it to me and you know there's no there's no carryover but um you know work the angles that you need to do especially in your coverage you know if you're uh i don't know if you're an off quarters guy what are teams gonna throw you posts comebacks mm -hmm. if you're a cover two guy you need to be, you need to teach to be able to be square and then hinge and then go play that seven route because everybody's gonna throw smash you know what i mean like know the weaknesses of it and work the hell out of whatever that you think you're going to see. Now let's talk about what you think DB play, uh, where guys could do a better job in the hole that you've seen. You watch a lot of high school film. What are, what, what do you think is something that based off of what you've seen from recruiting videos and being at practice and things, what would mm -hmm. you encourage high school guys that are looking for drills or looking to take their guys, help their guys get to the next level this time of year, things that mm -hmm. they could work on that would really help them and help their defense? Well, to help your defense, I think one thing that gets overlooked at high school and, and, a, and most college level too, or a lot of college level, uh, is teaching them, truly teaching them the run fit in the run game. Um, and that's, that's what I think something that's overlooked at the defensive back position. Uh, do those guys and and he doesn't know it yet but our safeties coach here is going to be essentially he's going to be the guy responsible for drawing up the opponent's run game and understanding where all the run fits are uh because it's because those guys are critical in the run game so why shouldn't their coach understand and make sure that he's he's the one that's leading that charge of of that so that's something that as a coach schematically i think gets under taught at db a lot. I think a lot of people do a good job of teaching some block defeat at corner or safety, some, a good job of teaching, um, you know, when to play the run, but truly understanding your fit in the run game at DB and then how to play it. I don't know that, that necessarily gets a guy to get to the next level. Um, the reality is I think there a lot of times it's their, their ability is going to get that. I mean, there's, there's a, my philosophy on getting the guy to the next level is they've got the ability to do it or they don't. A drill's not necessarily going to make them a little bit faster or a little bit taller. Uh, it may make their film a little bit better. There's no doubt about it. So the drills, just like for me as a college coach, I'm not trying to build drills that are going to get my guys to the NFL. I'm trying to build drills that are going to give our team the best chance to be successful and that player That's fair. the best to be successful in our scheme. Uh, ultimately that player now if we win football games nfl scouts are more likely to come watch us play just like if you win football games college scouts are more likely to come watch you play uh, that's a bona fide fact all state teams come from the teams that make playoff runs in pretty much every state i've ever seen there's some really good players that don't ever make an all-state team because they play on bad football teams and likewise, there's some guys that are great football players and maybe average athletes that are all state because they're because their team is really good and they're so they get that. College is no different. I mean, all, all Americans a lot of times are coming from 
from your best programs because those are the winning teams. Those are the teams that get the, the recognition. So I think as a coach, it's not my job. Uh, it's my job to get the most out of the players that I have. I 100% believe that. I'm not going to focus on getting them to the next level with my drills. I'm going to focus on what are the drills that are going to make them the best player that he can be at this level. And somebody else is going to make that decision. Whether, and he's going to make that decision to a certain extent if he's going to put the work in to, to make that jump or if he's even got the ability to make that jump. And the next level could be a lot of things from high school to college or college to pro or so I don't know if that answered that question, but that was a really nice way of telling me that was a really bad question. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Come on, man. You're like my brother. I it's uh yeah. it's totally okay. No, I've just always wondered that. I I've thought like, you know, college guys watching I mean, you watch a ton of high school film. Um and I've always been curious. I've never I don't know why, of all the questions and all the podcasts and things I've host. I don't know one why that popped into my head now, but I've always wanted to know, like, you know, what do you, when you're watching film, what are you seeing that you're like, guys, you need to do this drill. Like, come on, like on a whole, on the whole. I am sure that every, that there are college coaches and some college coaches that are probably far superior than me um, that would disagree with me on this. Uh, but when I'm watching recruiting film or studying high school film, I'm, and I'll hear we'll have position coaches. Well, he doesn't use his hands. Well, he's got really bad technique. Look, his back pedal is not any good. I don't care about. Does he have the raw ability? It's my job to coach him up. Does he have the raw ability to to be an elite player? Uh, if we can now, there's a whole lot that does come into having like that's where high school coaches are critical in that process. Uh, hey, is he? I mean, they're, they're these stories that some of these kids have, you never know what they are. I mean, they may be only being organized football for a year or two, or maybe they've moved from program to program to program. So I'm concerned about two things in that process, the raw ability. And then with that, what is the coach saying about these kids? Like what, what is his character? What is his work ethic? What are, what are those things? That's one thing I love about football. Um, it's different than basketball and, and some other sports where the recruiting doesn't go through the high schools. Football still goes to the high schools because that yeah, you get so much from those guys. And now when you start talking about drills, I'm guilty as anybody. I'm going to sit down. I, if I'm in recruiting a kid, I'm very likely to ask you to show me some of your favorite drills because I can learn more from a high school coach and watch you. When I watch high school practices, I've learned, learned a ton with some run fit drills, with some pod drills. Like I'm, I'm not always just evaluating talent. I'm stealing drills from these high school coaches or practice structure from these high school coaches because there, there's a lot of really good stuff that those guys are doing that maybe I haven't seen yet or maybe I did try it once, but I didn't do it right. So I need to get it down correctly. So I think it's a twofold answer to that. It's amazing what you can come up with when you have lack of supplies mm -hmm. and lack of coaches to like be with you like when i had to coach i've been in multiple places where i had the entire back five and a four two five and then if we went dime i had all six guys and it was just me and one football mm -hmm. you know i love i love i don't want to go on a tangent but i love these guys that show up to these clinics and they're like yeah this is one of my favorite drills and there's four guys throwing footballs all at the same time 
Mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, I have one, I have one football. Like, what do you want me to do with this? <laughs> like, not only do I not have four coaches, I only have one football. Yeah, and it's a Nerf ball. And you know, you know, you know what it is, dude. You coached high school. You're the oh, defensive yeah. coach. You get the you get the the bad kicking balls. They're like, here, take these. Anyway, um, I will. I, I I'll jump in. Uh, one thing that I think guys should. Uh, if we're gonna, I'm gonna be really specific on this. Working uh, when a corner gets past the depth of the runner. I've seen yeah. that a lot this offseason. I know it's just something that stuck out in my brain. Nick Saban has a really great drill, which I know, oh, they're Alabama. They have the best players. They're going to do anything. But seriously, they have like this ice spin, ice pick drill. If you go look at like uh, Google, like Alabama DB drills, there was a there was a day where like ESPN was there or whatever. Um, I see a lot of run lanes getting open by guys that, they go take on the blocker and they run too far up the field and or they they, they don't spin back. And I, I was like, I'm never going to teach it to spin, but it makes so much sense. Just a random thought that I had. Now, I am going to put you on the spot here. So that's an Aaron Pelch drill as well from special teams that I, that I use at corner too. give ground to close the gate is what he called it. When you get when your leverage players, your safeties, or your corners are forcing the football they have to take on a block and they are same concept as a defensive end that's too far up the field in a pass rush all right how do i get back in the run game i mean i'm with you you don't want to teach a kid to spin but we i think it's the same technique he called it you do end up spinning but you give ground you close the gate you throw that elbow back in the ground and you end up making the tackle ice pick in the back yep Yes, yeah but that's i'm sure and, and i'm sure a thousand coaches have done it i was just the first time i saw it yep and I, you know, I don't like teaching spins, but I also don't like teaching giving up 50 yard runs. So it's like, mm. absolutely. You, you know, the I'd blind rather, lady with the scale I'd run any day. You're like, mm, which one do I want to not do? Okay. Mm-hmm. Put you on the spot and then we'll go big picture. And then I'll say uh, goodbye. Here's a question. I've gotten a lot this off season. We've talked general. I want to get very specific. You've coached in some three high safety stuff, right? Mm-hmm. not going to ask you what you're going to do because it's your first year calling defense in a few years. I know you don't want to, you've given a little, little teaser here and there about what could be going on in, in uh, central Oklahoma. So I'm not going to ask you to do what, or, or tell us what you're going to do, but I've been asked this by more than a couple coaches, that middle safety, the guy in mm-hmm. the middle and the three high stuff, any special drills you've done to teach him how to fit like tackle from depth besides a normal linebacker drill like something that's different um so the first when i was at tennessee martin is the first time and that was i had to and i found out very quickly that i was the safeties coach at tennessee martin and we were a 335 uh the that middle position we call them the tagger uh it's very different than a traditional safety position. It is more like a linebacker position than it is a safety position. So I taught him and I, and I did the so at UIW I taught we were two years we were in the 3-3 and two years we were in a 4-2-5 essentially and we were kind of in and out of uh we were we had the ability to do both but there was two years where we were a little heavier 3-3-5. One of those years I was pretty much only dealing with the linebackers. The first year we did it, we used a hybrid player that was an outside linebacker that went back to become that middle safety. So I 
So I've spent two years coaching that position pretty specifically. It's it's more linebacker footwork and linebacker thought process. He can be slower. Like he should never be the guy that's – he should be lateral, lateral, lateral. And then back going back to the Chad Glasgow, TCU, Gary Patterson, don't go until you know. Like that's one of the biggest things that, that I to- coached him. And and I do a, did a drill or do a drill with him where he's going to be on, on with a – bag in front of him where he's got to stay lateral, lateral, lateral until he gets the run pass read. Then he can come out of that thing where he physically can't go forward. So I do think that if you're going to be in a three high system, you've got to spend some specific, you can't do your traditional safety drills with that player. Yeah. Especially where you're giving ground off the bat, unless you're in a Tampa, but even in that situation, when you start, you start flat footed. I haven't seen a lot of those guys that, Unless they're doing the thing where you're taking the two other safeties and you're rolling them down and he's the middle of the field player. That's a whole different yeah. deal. That's that's then do your middle of the field drills. But mm-hmm. um yeah, because we we experiment a lot, but I had had the experience of playing the old G Robert defense. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is. It you're is you're vertical of two, but two is the or your vertical of three instead of vertical of two. Uh he's just the running back. So he's so he's in the backfield. Do you remember the I think maybe called it triangle drill we did at Millsaps College with oh, uh, yeah. Robert? I can't remember what we Robert called drill. it. Robert, like that's a that's a drill for that position. Yeah, I mean there's a so yeah I think that's a and then it's just teaching inside out run game for the most part. And yeah, everybody made fun everybody of us running Robert coverage until the three high stuff came around. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, it's back. This is my time. I know this is going to be a very open-ended question, but we got to wrap this up. Um, you got plans to make, you got offenses to conquer things to do. So I'm going to naturally ask you a wild open-ended question that could be answered 14 different ways, but um, anything else that you think is really important that we haven't talked about? There's a lot of things, you know, we wanted to keep this to around an hour you know, shifts in motions, unbalanced. I mean, there's um, what your three back check, your empty check, your empty FIB check. I mean, there's a million things and shameless plug. If you want to go back and listen, like I mentioned earlier, Mark Marinelli did, it was, I think it was like the second or third podcast I ever did make defense great again. Uh, Mark and I did like a three hour episode, which was like went into everything that you could possibly think of. Well, that we could possibly think of situations backed up field position red zone goal line i mean we could be here all night if you wanted to cover everything two minute after the uh or sorry two minute at the end of a half versus two minute at the end of a game hail mary second to last play four minute you got to get the ball back to what to so the offense can try and score uh there's a million things but what are give me three of the most important things that you think you need to cover and, and and not theoretical, like not like oh, you know, put yourself in 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 so and so's shoes or what have you done? I'm talking about the three of the most important things that you yourself have to get done in the next couple of weeks before you play your first game that we have not talked about. Um, so one thing, uh, it's gonna be the. Hail Mary last play situation because that's not something that you rep in practice and you don't need it till you need it. All of a sudden you're on 
Sunday morning having a not so fun conversation with your head coach who probably didn't have a great conversation with the media about why you didn't line up. Well, I mean, why you gave up a play in that situation that or you're jogging into halftime after you held the number one offense to zero points in the first half and their uh, six foot eight receiver mossed five of your kids. Not that that yeah. ever happened to me or anything. Yeah. But I think, and, and for me, my philosophy on that is accumulation of reps. Like there's going to be at some point during fall camp that I'm going to take time to teach our guys those things. And we're going to have a call for those two because they're different situations. Basically, can the quarterback throw it to the end zone or not? Because you're defending two different plays. If the quarterback can throw it to the end zone, you're probably defending Hail Mary. If he can't, you're in some sort of lateral pass deal, something like that. Um, but we're going to teach our guys our call to that and how to play our call to that. And then during the season, every Thursday, everybody's practice, whatever your last kind of real practice of the day is, we're going to get one rep of that. Uh, and if we happen to have on film of what they're going to do, great. If not, it's going to be a vanilla uh, play that we're going to get. Um, but I think that becomes an accumulation of reps where you don't have to, if you don't take care of that, it may not happen this year or next year. At some point you will lose a game because you, your players don't know how to line up and how to go execute that. Now you may still get mossed by a six, eight NFL dude like that. There are certain things that scheme can't fix. Didn't but, have one for that. Famous last yeah. words. Our head coaches, do you want to time on that? And this, we had just given up a Hail Mary three weeks before I went, and I believe, quote, no, we got this. Mm-hmm. Oh, we got this all right. We got on the front page of Max Preps. The catch was yeah. so good. They put us on the cover <laughs> on the, in the entire nation. Oh, misery. Uh, okay. On this note, you were at TCU for three years. Mm-hmm. And I think your brother was there a year before you. So there was a four-year stretch of the yep. Lechtenberg family clan was in there in Boise's heyday, and y'all were playing them. How many Hail Mary plays did you work when you played them? How many hook and ladders, hitch and pitch variations? Because Coach Patterson was famous on those uh, purple ball Friday practices for wanting trick plays. So how many variations of those plays did you work? That's honestly something that I think is critical, too. And I've pitch that at other places I've been, that purple ball idea. And for those of you that don't know, I mean, they, oh, it's it was the greatest like, ever, greatest like ever. It was two or three plays of good versus good at the beginning of practice. And a lot of times defensively, we were running one of our install blitzes or one of our more exotic stuff. And the offense was running some form of trick plays. So how do you, so there's, and I'm, I'm going to bleed this into another very quick thing that I think is good to, that we did this spring that I really liked. Uh, so one thing that I'm doing is trying to actively figure out offenses are copycats. So when somebody, when, when coaches watch Thursday night football and see some fancy play that worked for a touchdown, it's not out of the question that you're going to see that on Saturday. Uh, So I've got one of our GAs, he's an offensive GA that thinks he's pretty smart. He is, we've got a pretty good staff here. Like I've already pegged him to say, Hey, here's what I want from you one play a week on Wednesday, you're going to install a play on our scout team. Like it's not going to be, it's not going to be what our opponents are doing. You're going to put a trick play in. I don't care what it is, what formation, it doesn't have to marry up to their personality, to their formations. Give me one play. 
Just go to Dan oh. Casey's Twitter. He posts all those crazy. Yeah. I, I tell you this. I don't know how many defensive coordinators, college, and I, I know a few pro defensive coordinators that have been like, we need to find that guy and we need to stop him from posting because he posts all that stuff, all those crazy trick plays and stuff. Like yeah. how many how many times did we see the Philly special after they beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl? Yes. Yeah. It's ridiculous. But, but- the other thing on that note that we did this spring, and I think it's real, I don't know if we're going to get it accomplished in the fall again. We ended of our 15 spring practices, I think 11 of them or 10, a good many of them, we did our team periods. The very last play was a two-point play. And that's the same thing. Like there's how much probably lack of a 10, because you're going to get, it's not out of the question to, you're going to get all your basic stuff. Like you're going to get, inverted money snag seven you know what i mean sprint out i don't know what everybody calls all those routes but there's certain routes you know you're going to get in those situations there's also a variety of trick plays gimmick plays offenses spend time gaining like that and i know when, like, when i was on staff everywhere i've been they have two or three two-point plays defensively we've got like one or two defenses that we think we're going to run but we don't spend a whole lot of time game planning two-point plays to a certain extent, I think there's value in letting your guys see all this stuff. So how do you build an accumulation of reps? And I love—I would love to do it again during fall camp where we're in in practice. You also in practice on a high-energy play where I don't know what the offense is going to run. They don't know what I'm going to do. We're going to go ones versus ones, one two-point play to win practice, or twos versus twos, one two-point play to win practice. But I think those are some things that that don't take a lot of time, don't add time to your practice but can win you a football game on either both sides of the ball down the road because now you're in a critical two-point situation, playoff game, and whether it's your offense or your defense, you've been practicing that situation cumulatively over the course of a season. Well, I could talk to you all night, and I know that I could talk to you all night because I have at times talked to you all night. That's happened at times. And forced you into... Uh, one t- 15 second story. Uh, we used to bring Leck out every year, sometimes twice, and I wouldn't let him out of the house. So he would come uh, to San Francisco, which for my money is still my favorite city I've ever been to in the world. Uh, and then we would like look through the window. I'm like, you see how beautiful it is out there? <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> let him out of the house. So we have had those all night talks. So I don't want to keep you. I know you got to get ready for your season. Thanks so much for coming on and chatting with us. Real quick, give everybody your social media so, stuff so they can follow you. And send yeah, some players. It, it, if you got players, send them to Brandon. He's a great guy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No. Um, God, it's at coach underscore Leck. At coach underscore L-E-C-H. Brandon, thanks so much for coming on, and good luck this season. And what's your new mascot? Broncos. Do you have, like, yep. a phrase? like Roll shows. Say that again? Roll chose Bronco is spelled wrong um, because I there's some story behind it. So it's spelled B for our Bronco is spelled B R O N C H O, not C O C H O. So it's spelled like Broncho. Uh, so the, the 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 phrase is roll chose. I thought you were saying something else. I was like, this is nope. going to be wild. Problematic. <laughs> All right. I was like, what? Anyway, we're going to end it here. Thank you so much, my friend. Yep. Have a good one, man. 
Thanks again to Brandon Lechtenberg for coming on the podcast. Had a blast talking to him. Stay tuned next week for Dante Barti talking about his philosophy on game planning. And then the Q&A pods will kick in. Also for the tight front and bundle, make sure you check out bit.ly slash tight front vast. Remember tight is T-I-T-E because we're defensive coaches. And also go to underdogfantasy.com. Use the code vast to sign up and you get a free game planning course from me. You won't want to miss either of those. And if you forget everything else, just go to at Coach Vass on Twitter or find my link tree, linktree.com slash Coach Vass. All the links are there. Also, check out the show notes. All that stuff is there, too. See you next week. And don't forget, the quarterback can't see with tears in his eyes.